following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. If you've been listening the last few weeks, I want you to uh, step into your vehicle, set it for 88 miles an hour, buckle up, and transport yourself from 1978 to 1982. If you get the Back to the Future reference there with the 88 miles an hour. Yeah? No? Right? All right, so we're all in our DeLoreans. We are, we are not condoning breaking the speed limit laws here on this show, are we? <laughs> it's got to be legal to go 88 somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Within reach of this radio station? <laughs> I would think this radio station works, reaches around the world. That's it's on true. the World Wide Web. There you go. All right, so um, <laughs> this is The Faith Debate. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of a, a church uh, in the area called Household of Faith in Christ. You can find us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Uh, you heard uh, Daniel Razvi's voice. You're going to be hearing Imran Razvi's, Razvi's voice as well. Uh, they pastor a church in Thurmont and uh, have an organization called Conquered by Love Ministries. Their website for that is conqueredbylove.org. And David Forsey, uh, someday he's going to have a website, davidforseyiscool.com, but it doesn't exist yet. So he's just plain old David Forsey, pastor of a church uh, south of Frederick that meets in multiple locations. So if you want to track him down and figure that out, reach me, and then I'll figure out how to connect you with him, and he'll tell you. It, it's like whack-a-mole. I mentioned this before with this shirt. <laughs> it's, oh, like playing, it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. You never know exactly which mole to whack on any given weekend. So uh, we spent the last few weeks working through the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, on Biblical Inerrancy, um, which was put together back in 1978. And this... Same basic group of people, might have had a few players change, but the same basic group of people got together four years later and put together the, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Hermeneutics. Now, this doesn't mean the people in Chicago are smarter than everybody else. I think it ended up being kind of a centralized location for a lot of people to get to, and they've got a big airport that's easy to fly in and out of at O'Hare. And so I think they just, they all met there, and so they called it that. In fact, it was called the uh, Summit of the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, and blah, blah, blah. So... They have an opening couple of paragraphs on their biblical hermeneutics um, statement. And part of what it says is, while we recognize that belief in the inerrancy of Scripture is basic to maintaining its authority, the values of that commitment are only as real as one's understanding of the meaning of Scripture. Thus, we herewith present these affirmations and denials to clarify hermeneutical issues and principles. And we, practically speaking, already experienced that, right? We're talking about inerrancy, and hermeneutical questions popped up recurringly during our discussion. So they do kind of go hand in glove a little bit. So when it comes to uh, inerrancy and hermeneutics, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. But it does fit, so they go together. <laughs> well, right, the inerrancy is a... Uh is sort of a basic assumption yeah. about scripture and then the hermeneutics is okay how do we how do we make fewer mistakes god has not made any mistakes right and we're going to make some mistakes mm -hmm. but hopefully not too many and when we do hopefully we learn from them and we're correctable in those mistakes and don't keep making the same mistakes over yeah. and over again so maybe this is a point to bring something up i wasn't sure if i was ever going to find an opportunity to, to bring this example up or when the right place. I think this is the place for it, actually. We talked about last week on the show, and if you missed that, it's available on podcasts. Go, go check it out. Um, about the danger of saying that God spoke to you, and so I've got this word. You know, some people in church, uh, I've got a word from the Lord for you. They might, or they might not, <laughs> right? But when they say they've got a word from the Lord, God spoke to me, and I've got a word from God for you, that's a big deal. And if they prove to be wrong, 
like it says, Daniel, I got a word from God. He spoke to me last night. He told me, you need to buy a lottery ticket this week because if you do, you're going to win the Mega Millions. You got to go buy the ticket. Daniel's like, I don't typically play the lottery, but if it's a guarantee, God said, I better go buy that uh, uh, that that dollar uh, or five dollar uh, gamble of the roulette wheel of the lottery. And he buys his ticket and he doesn't win. Daniel, Daniel should really ask, what did God tell me to do with the money? <laughs> <laughs> but in that case where they say something that's not right, that person saying that they spoke for God, we just got done spending three shows. God doesn't make mistakes. God is inerrant. His word never fails. So that person bore false witness, claiming to speak for God when they provably did not. That's a huge deal. And I bring that up in this context of hermeneutics because some people would want to make an equivalency. I would argue it's a false equivalency. One of us as a pastor is is preaching through a passage of Scripture, and we get something in our hermeneutics not exactly right. And so we're trying to expound God's Word, teach the truth of God's Word, but we get something wrong. And they're going to say, you're just as guilty as the person who was claiming to be a prophet from God, saying, I got this word from God. No, the one person is claiming to be like the voice box for God. The pastor, the preacher, is merely saying, I am applying hermeneutical principles to give you my best understanding of what God's word says. There's a difference. And so it's a higher level of responsibility. Somebody's going to say, God said, wow, they better be right. If I say preaching that in this text, you know, God says, there's a lot of times I go out of my way say it's my understanding that it says this. Other times I'm more emphatic than that. But there's an implicit understanding that when you stand in the pulpit to deliver a message or you're giving a teaching at a Bible study, it's your opinion, your understanding, your interpretation. That's kind of implicitly there. I'm not it, going out of my way. It should be, rather. Yeah. We went a couple months ago. We talked about how many churches don't subscribe to that. They'll, they'll say, you know, you just trust whatever the pastor says. Um, and, yeah, and that's insofar not, that's as it agrees with Scripture. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? I think that we should have a default to, to want to trust and believe our pastor, because if you don't have that relationship and trust level with your pastor, you probably should find a new one. You, know, you should go in feeling like, my pastor's probably going to get this right, but you still check everything against the Bible. The problem is really hard to find another one. That is true. That is true. Contact Troy. He can set you up with a good church. It's one of the reasons I'm a pastor. <laughs> right? No other pastor was good enough for you. You had to be your, your no, own pastor. But, no, but realizing there's there's not enough. There's yeah. not enough good pastors. We need more good, faithful men who understand the truth of the Bible, who will teach it and preach it and take the accountability that comes with that. We, can, we need more of that. We don't have enough. Um, anyway, so Article 1 in their Articles of Affirmation and Denial uh, in this hermeneutics statement says, We affirm that the normative authority of Holy Scripture is the authority of God himself and is attested by Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Church. We deny the legitimacy of separating the authority of Christ from the authority of Scripture or of opposing the one to the other. And I'm going to do the second one as well. We affirm that as Christ is God and man in one person, so Scripture is indivisibly God's word in human language. We deny that the humble human form of Scripture entails errancy any more than the humanity of Christ, even in his humiliation, entails sin. So this is where we get into some of the mysteries of what this all means. We touched on this uh, a little bit here and there in our previous conversations on inerrancy. But just because men are involved in writing it down, so, well, to error is human, right? So there must be some mistakes. No, no, no. This is superintended by God in such a way. Because if you were to apply that same standard to Jesus Christ, you would have to say, well, to error is human, and Jesus is human. 
he's God and man, so he must have sinned. No, there there are unique exceptions that prove the rule kind of thing. Uh, you know, Christ is that exception. Um, um, because, he, because he was fully God as well as fully man. Exactly. That's the difference. And I think that's what we, we I think that's what we're kind of saying about the words on the page that we read in our Bibles, at least in the original autographs. The, the word of God, it is written by men, so it's fully man's words, and yet it's fully God's words at the same time. I think that's kind of what they're saying here. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There's a whole, this is, uh, some of this almost feels like we've touched on it a little bit in previous shows. So let's go on to three and four and see if that gives us some fodder for some back and forth. We affirm that the person and work of Jesus Christ are the central focus of the entire Bible. We deny that any method of interpretation which rejects or obscures the Christ-centeredness of Scripture is correct. We affirm that the Holy Spirit, this is Article 4, we affirm that the Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture acts through it today to work faith in its message. We deny that the Holy Spirit ever teaches to anyone anything which is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. We touched upon this a little bit, I think, as well already. I mentioned it last week, how the whole Bible is about Jesus, and that's what they're saying in Article 3. Um, anything that you picked up on there that you want to talk about before I no, move on? No, I mean, on? the Bible is about Jesus. That's the whole point. And Jesus is also God. And it's so like a joke, right? In, in all the Sunday school classes, whenever in doubt, just say Jesus, right? Right. Or, when, or yeah, if, I don't know what the answer to the question is. must be Jesus. Well, it's, or, it's about Jesus because the Bible is about uh, God and man together. Right. Right. Not as equals, right? As creator and created... Sure. An image. And God's plan for man, which centers upon mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. And, I mean, we have, in a lot of church traditions, there's this uh, Christmas time, you have the Advent, right? The four Sundays of Advent. And the first Sunday, you're supposed to read, especially the scriptures about the prophecy of Je- about Jesus. And some of my uh, younger siblings, uh, you know, would ask, oh, well, which prophecies are we going to read this week? And sometimes we kind of half-jokingly answer, we'll just open the Bible, any, any spot, it's all prophecy about Jesus. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they're, they're specifically talking about prophecies of his birth that they, right. they want to talk there, but it's, the whole Bible is about Jesus. So, yeah. And then, then Article 4 um, is kind of what we said earlier as well, that the Holy Spirit will never teach anyone anything which is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. So if and when you do get a word from the Holy Spirit, it will not contradict Scripture. It may not be found in Scripture, but it will not contradict Scripture. Yeah. Because um, he, he might tell you to go move to Virginia or Arkansas, like you said, and that's not in Scripture at all, whether it's contrary or not. But if he tells you something, like to go uh, get married to another man, for example, <laughs> that would be contrary to Scripture. I, I, I would say that also that, that Scripture will will affirm it, right? So it will be a, in alignment with... Right. You know, so if, uh, you know, if, uh, if someone, you know, gets a word that they should move their family closer to their parents and Scripture says, well, you should take care of your own household and that's something that is need you know needs doing then sure right. yeah and i know of people who have actually said to me they're not married it's a woman god told her that she should get pregnant with this guy and live with him you know not get married god told her it's like no he didn't <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i can show you <laughs> you you maybe you heard from somebody but it wasn't god but I've heard that from more than one person, you know. So, 
You, maybe you have too. It's pretty common these days for people who claim to be Christians and they do things and you ask them, well, why are you doing it? Well, you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit or God told me or I feel like I get special permission from God to do this because of this reason. Or I can marry somebody, somebody who's a believer knowingly marrying somebody who's not a believer and saying that, well, God told me because this is how they're going to come to be saved. That's not what it says in Scripture. You can't, you're not, you can't be in disagreement with Scripture like that. Uh, five and six, articles five and six. We affirm that the Holy Spirit enables believers to appropriate and apply Scripture to their lives. We deny that the natural man is able to discern spiritually the biblical message apart from the Holy Spirit. We affirm that the Bible expresses God's truth in propositional statements, and we declare that biblical truth is both objective and absolute. We further affirm that a statement is true if it represents matters as they actually are, but it is an error if it misrepresents the facts. We deny that while Scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation, biblical truth should be defined in terms of, its func- of this function. We further deny that error should be defined as that which willfully deceives. So again, defining what we mean by error and how do we, how do we uh, define our terms. That's part of hermeneutics is defining terms. So Article 5 ties back into four, which is interesting, right? It's saying that uh, that we need the Holy Spirit in order to understand Scripture. Yeah, because the, the Bible tells us that those that don't have the Holy Spirit, you know, they haven't been given hearts of flesh, they still have hearts of stone, and so they're, the, the truth is there right in front of them, and they, they can't see it because they're, they're well... They see it, but they don't take it in. They don't understand it because they've hardened their hearts so that they're self-deceived. They choose not to see it. Um, so they have a, a moral inability or a spiritual inability to, uh, to recognize uh, and appropriate the truth. So that's not an excuse. That's what I'm trying to get at, I guess. It's like, oh, well, they can't know any better. They can. They should no better, but they can't because of the rebellion against God. So they need the Holy Spirit to get rid of the rebellion so they can actually see the truth. Anything in Article uh, 6 that I read? That's a kind of a longer, that's one of the longest articles in the whole, whole shebang here. No? I can move on. All right, I'm going to move on. We can swing back to it if uh, you decide to later. Article 7. We affirm that the meaning expressed in each biblical text is single, definite, and fixed. That's an interesting one. We deny that the recognition of this single meaning eliminates the variety of its application. Troy, what does it mean to you? Yeah. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So how is that different than you were speaking against the the common Bible study phrase, what does this mean to you today? Um, But here it seems to say, well, there could be a variety of applications, even though its primary meaning is, is one thing. It would be how how does this apply to you? How does this truth work out yeah. in your own life? It says what it says, but how you apply what it says could fit a variety of situations. Uh, but it's interesting because I think that sometimes in its saying what it says, it's actually saying more than one thing. For example, there are some uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that are pointing to something that's more proximate. Like it's it, it's it's pointing to Christ as an ultimate fulfillment, but it's also pointing to something that's going to happen before the cross. That's also, so there's like a double thing that are both true. A great example is Passover. Passover is both an actual event that happened and also pointing to Christ. Another event is, is talking about the virgin birth of Christ, where shortly after Isaiah had a son and God talks to him about saying some of these things are actually fulfilled in your, in your son, but 
really we're looking forward to this virgin birth of Christ that's coming, you know. And it was a couple of weeks ago, David brought up Revelation as an example of parts of Scripture can be difficult. Revelation, you read a passage in Revelation, and it means something. <laughs> it means something definite. But we sometimes, through our limitations, aren't exactly sure what those definite understandings should be. So we have to be honest, right? So if we're teaching or preaching on Revelation, I say, you know, it seems like it could mean this, it could mean that. I'm not saying it means all of these different things, but really smart people have disagreed over these things. And it, it seems possible it could mean that. And out of humility, I don't know. I'm going to share with you what those possibilities are, and none of them would be heretical, but are any of them exactly what it's intended to convey? I can't say with certainty. I think that we have to admit our frailties on some of these things. Sure. All right, Article 8. We affirm that the Bible contains teachings and mandates. Ooh, mandates. (laughs) I'm tired of that word. (laughs) (laughs) Which apply to all cultural and situational context and other mandates, which the Bible itself shows, apply only to particular situations. We deny that the distinction between the universal and particular mandates of Scripture can be determined by cultural and situational factors. We further deny that universal mandates may ever be treated as culturally or situationally relative. So who wants to simplify that in, like, regular English? So maybe a good example, then. So there, there are some things the Bible says which are true and, and require that the Christian obey it at all times. You know, for example, don't kill anybody uh, or don't murder, rather. Um, or even more basic, love God. That's a command. It's a mandate for everybody in all time, not for a specific Jewish people or whatever. Um, and if there are certain commands which God said, you know, whatever, like he told this person to go wash yourself in that pool. That doesn't mean every Christian everywhere always goes and washes in that same pool in Jerusalem. You know, we have to all make a pilgrimage to to wash. No, he was specifically talking to a person there. And it's very clear from the context that he told this one guy to go wash in the pool, not he's commanding all my followers go wash in this pool. And it's not that God, like, well, I'm thinking like circumcision. It's not that God has abrogated his word, but the, the purpose and reason for circumcision has met its end it's, it's been fulfilled. The reason that, that they had to be circumcised uh, is, is no longer relevant. So God didn't change his mind about that. It was, it, 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 it was in place for a time, for a reason, and that particular time and reason is not the practical situation. The, uh, the particular situation uh, had changed. So God's word didn't change. The situation changed. I disagree with the circumcision as an example. but uh, You think we should still be circumcised? Yes. Not to be saved. And you never were to be saved, but I think it's a good thing to be, to be doing. Wow, that's interesting, because Paul is pretty strident against. Nope. Because, no, he specifically said it for being saved. As Daniel said, it has nothing to do with being saved. Okay, I don't see any reason for it then. Well, there's a lot of medical reasons for it. And oh, okay. so a wisdom issue, not a moral issue or an obedience issue to God? Well, you think that something we should... God said to do. Everything God said is command to, to everybody. Yeah, hmm. that's, that is something. I'm going to have to write that down as another topic. Sure. Right down. So we had Genesis from a couple weeks ago, creation, right? Uh And now we got circumcision. Okay. All right. We're going to read that later. All right. Whatever. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's why I was using, because because I anticipate there are doctrines and maybe not as... um, you know, rare as a circumcision to be disagreeing on, but there's other ones that, you know, people can disagree on whether this one still applies to everybody or not. But 
that's why I was giving for our listeners a very clear example. Jesus goes and tells this one person, go wash yourself in the pool. Well, that's, a, that's obviously a specific situation, and he's not commanding everybody to do yeah. that. Well, that's, that's what he'd be looking yeah. and for. He t- and he told one specific group of people to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. Those that follow God. And, and that, no, no, no. The, Those that are followers of God. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. We'll spend some time in, <laughs> we'll spend some time in Galatians. <laughs> We're going to have to, we'll, we'll get to that uh, uh, eventually on this show. So uh, right. in, in the spirit of staying true to the statement. Not today. Yeah, not, not today. Right. It, it does not say here, right? I think, and that's part of the point in this article, that it says that it, we affirm that the Bible contains teachings and mandates. It doesn't right? say which ones those are. It doesn't say all teachings and mandates in the Bible. Right. I'm going to try right. to quickly do Article 9, and then that will be the last one for this show. I'm not sure if we'll have time to give it a whole lot of treatment, but we'll see what it says. Because I just did 8, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. We affirm that the term hermeneutics, which historically signified the rules of exegesis, may properly be extended to cover all that is involved in the process of perceiving what the biblical revelation means and how it bears on our lives. And then the denial is we deny that the message of Scripture derives from or is dictated by the interpreter's understanding. Thus, we deny that the horizons of the biblical writer and the interpreter might rightly fuse in such a way that what the text communicates to the interpreter is not ultimately controlled by the expressed meaning of the scripture. You can't just pick your own meanings. Yeah, and a lot of people do. And, uh, and uh, even highfalutin, like, you know, lots of credentials behind their name, uh, theologians do that sort of thing. And that's part of what they're speaking against here is uh, people with fancy approaches will try to change uh, through their own understanding of what they're allowed to do um yeah we, i wish we might have to pick this up on the uh oops what i just do i gotta get my music going here and uh we're running out of time we got like a minute and a half two minutes left so we're gonna have to cut this short do you have anything you want to say before we wrap up this yes no no i mean the, it's really distilled in that that you can't just choose your own interpretation it's, it's not based on, I mean, you, you can use your judgment to try to figure out what God's saying, but it's not going to be based at all on what you think. Um, you know, you can pray for guidance by the Holy Spirit and, and he'll guide you, but there's not going to be any. Uh, and that's really what the church today has done by culturally assuming that the meanings have changed because the culture has changed and because it is not appropriate for today, the woke culture. And that's what this is against. Yeah, so we're going to uh, wrap up there. We did the first nine. We'll pick up with Article 10 next week then. And um, I don't make a big deal about it, but maybe you do. And in the spirit of uh, being friendly to you, enjoy your Valentine's Day celebration this week. (laughs) (laughs) With your little Cupid dolls and whatever you do, your boxed candies and fancy Hallmark cards. You could go read about uh, St. Valentine. There you go. Yeah, read about uh, somebody who was in the faith and, and, and learn about that. That's a good idea. <laughs> I like that. That's David Forsey with a good idea. Um, the guys judiciously, smartly being quiet on this issue, the Razvis, Daniel, and Imran. I'm sure they have a lot to say, but they're they're going to hold that for another time. Um, and I'm Troy Skinner. This is the Faith Debate. Uh, you can connect with all of us through my church's website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. That's the easiest way to do that, probably. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right about now. God bless.